Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News, available on all your podcast platforms and also now on YouTube as well. Head over to the Manchester is Red podcast channel over there, subscribe to us and you can watch these podcasts as videos and there's also lots of extra content as well that we release throughout the week as well. Uh, I'm Rich Faye and I can really sympathise with Eric Ten Hag this week because we have our own selection shortage, but that doesn't mean we've got a drop-off in quality by any means. I'm delighted to say I'm joined by only one guest, but what a guest he is, Mr. Samuel Luckhurst. <laughs> How are you doing? That's quite the introduction. Thank you very much, Rich. Yeah, I, I'd like to think that we are the Casemiro Eriksson, but, but, but younger in, 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 in soul, perhaps. If if not in age, well certainly as far as I'm concerned, I'm, anyway. Maybe I think I'm worried the listeners might liken us to McFred instead. That's my dilemma. But uh, you know, it could be the return of McFred in the coming days. We will start uh, at the weekend. Crystal Palace United played them uh, again. They only played them recently as well. Two-one win at Old Trafford. United have made a real habit of managing to grind out these sort of gritty wins throughout the campaign. A match that was marred by the red card incident. That's going to be discussed later in the podcast, really. But but what did you make of, of the win? Do you think United were good value for the victory? They were. They were very good for the first 30, 35 minutes. They, they eased off towards the end of the first half. And really, it was, it was shaping up to be one of those halves, even after they scored, that you thought, well, they're going to be disappointed if they don't go in at half-time 2-0 up. Credit to Ten Hag again. Uh, his his game management was excellent. That very decisively early in the second half, Vekos came off. Garnacho went on. Rashford went up front, and of course Rashford is front and centre to to convert the, uh, the 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 cross from Luke Shaw. And it was it was a really really well worked goal. I mean it was it felt like it was a good goal at the time. And the, the more you see of the replays, the even better even better a goal it is. It was just so well worked. Very good proactive, uh, purposeful play uh, in, in, in the right area and very slick, very quick. So it was, it, I mean, it was it was turning out to be quite a, a mundane but, but vital uh, home win for United. And then the, the whole the whole afternoon was, was enhanced really for supporters' experience of of the red card and, and that Schluck goal, which obviously made it another tight, narrow victory. But teams always strive to win games as easily as possible but when when you grind it out when it goes down to the wire that that does make victories all the more satisfying and you could you could tell just uh, looking at the players at the end of the game the supporters um it's it's a very very harmonious environment at united at the moment i think that that game was played around a year on from from the cup defeat to Millsborough on on penalties and obviously that the, the mood at the club wasn't particularly great at the time and certainly in February, although they didn't, I don't think they actually lost a game outright in February, but it wasn't a particularly positive month. They didn't win many games. They had a lot of draws. And uh, at the moment, you just look at look at the state of the nation and you look at where they are in each of, of the four competitions they're competing in. And it's it's impossible for them not to be positive. But of course, because of the red card, literally every question Ten Hag was asked after the game in, in his press conference uh, was was about Casemiro being sent off. The incident itself, then, I mean, is the elephant in the room, really. Where do you stand on it? Uh, it's it's a difficult one. You can see both arguments, really, can't you? That to, to, why it was given at the time, United would find it difficult to appeal it because they'd have to prove that it wasn't unlawful dismissal. I mean, how how 
do you feel about it? Do you think it was fair to give him the red card or do you believe that, yes, he sent him off, but someone else deserved to go as well? I, I can certainly understand why the referee sent him off from the evidence that was uh, provided to him. Um, I mean, it, it was so unclear again, and this is, not, this is an issue with VAR that they've still not rectified. United fans, probably because they're, they're used to decisions mainly going their way, historically going their way at Old Trafford, when the referee indicated that he was that he was doing a review, they they thought that it was a Palace player who was going to be sent off, and of course he picks out Casemiro, and suddenly the mood changes. There, there wasn't great communication there, but the replay that we saw, which is what the referee saw, clearly they looked at the, uh, the IU Fred incident and they moved on from that, and it was on to the Casemiro one. But what I thought at the time, and I've thought about it a number of times about uh, VAR reviews, when you slow it down, and people have said it before to the point that it has become a cliche, if you slow anything down, it looks a hell of a lot worse. And I think crucially with the Casemiro incident, it was also taken out of context in that it was, it was ended early. It didn't show you it in its entirety. He was needlessly aggressive. He but he was trying in, in a in a counterproductive way, so to speak, to to try and calm matters. Like he, you know, you look at the interaction between him and Will Hughes, and it's not it's not like a massive pile up. They're not about to you know launch fists at each other or anything like that. And I think if the referee had seen it in its entirety and at the actual pace that it took place. I don't think he would have sent him off. And I mean, the, the angle on match of the day uh, when, when they analysed it was not shown to the referee, but that is what I'd have said should have been, uh, not what I would have said, but I certainly think that's what should have been shown to the referee. The angle he he saw was just from the back of Casemiro, hand around the neck, and it's pretty much a two-second clip that is slowed down on that evidence it, it wasn't a surprise that he sent him off and the more he looked at it and the more it was slowed down everybody knew what was coming certainly everybody who had a monitor which unfortunately for 75,000 people um, 75,000 people that's not the case but as Ten Hag said afterwards the IU Fred instant was arguably more aggressive and there is an inconsistency there in that Casemiro is sent off and then Jordan Ayew isn't sent off I mean, it was interesting that Ten Hag was was quite critical of... He, he he was very specific about the inconsistency of VAR. He wasn't critical of the referee. And at the end of the game, when he strode onto the pitch, he wondered if he was going to have a, a, a pop at Andre Mariner, but he, he didn't. Patrick Vieira did. Vieira was furious about um, a Palace attack being halted because Mariner had caught Bruno Fernandes at... I think I think it was at two one as well, and United were down to ten men, so it it felt like to, to Palace anyway. It felt like an important flashpoint. But Ten Hag was he was asked on Friday about some of the decisions that have gone against United recently, and he he was the one who brought up the elbow by Mateta on on Lissandro Martinez yeah. in in the reverse fixture, and of course he was very very unhappy with with Andy Carroll's reckless fouling and United were certainly denied what looked like a patent penalty against Forrest when, when Veghorst was um, kicked inside the penalty area. But he was reluctant to go into demanding an explanation or being overly critical of the officials. So when the Casemiro red card happened, I think that was, it's not really tipped him over the edge as such, but in, in quite a cogent way, he outlined his grievances with 
the VAR system. And I mean, with with Carroll, that they, they couldn't review that unless they deemed it a red card, and it was probably bordering on it. But at the time, everyone mm-hmm. just thought, "Well, how the hell has he not been booked there?" And they're not going to review a yellow card. It's always a possible red card that they would uh, review in those circumstances. So I can see why they feel aggrieved. I, I certainly think that there is a case to to appeal it, just going off these relevant replays that show it in its context in full. But as Ten Hag said, Casemiro crossed a line. And if he's saying that, it possibly indicates that they won't bother appealing it. As of yesterday, there was no clarity from United on the matter. The, the question's been asked today. There's not been a definitive response uh, su- supplied to us so far. Maybe by the time people are listening to this, uh, we we will know, they will know whether United have appealed it or not. But there's such a small window to do so because, of course, it's, it's Leeds at home on Wednesday and here we are speaking on the Monday. Yeah, we are speaking. We recorded this just, just before 2pm on the Monday for context. And to give you a wider sort of look into the law of it clubs can only launch an appeal if a player has been brandished with a straight red card so obviously in this context that that is allowed meaning players who are set off for two bookings can't be uh most of their battle about dispute that can't be overturned and united must file an appeal to the fa under the category of a wrongful dismissal which is then passed on to an independent regulatory commission at the fa who will review the incident and decide whether it was correct for mariner to send casimir off that is if they appeal it and of course as samuel said that appeal has to be within two days of the match as well so that would have to be filed today on monday and as i said at this very moment in time just before 2 p.m there is no indication of that and of course the other caveat to all that is that an appeal can be rejected and extended as well so you know it could be given an extra lengthy ban but it seems like that wouldn't happen in this case but there's a lot to get into on that i suppose the the point question going forward before we get on to leads purposely is how United sort of reacted to to the red card Samuel I mean after the game Dav De Gea spoke passionately he praised the teammates for for riding the storm as to to seeing out what was at the end a bit of a, a gritty win like I said it could have been more comfortable earlier on the game but what did you make of United's mentality after the goal and the changes that Ten Hag made well Ty and I were in the press box obviously and I said before it happened I said he's got to take Garnacho off here and that wasn't a criticism of him at all. It was just he was an 18-year-old in a very unfamiliar uh, position, and United needed they needed people who were experienced in uh, defending a lead with 10 men, and they also needed a defender or two, which is what Ten Hag did. He put Lindelof on, he put Maguire on. His, his game management at the weekend in the second half was was excellent, as I said earlier, about moving Rashford infield, and he gets the winning goal from a very central area and I, certainly after the red card and more immediately after Schlupp scored United were very open and I just thought there's no way they can hang on here with with those players out there and I'm, I'm not a big fan of the five five subs rule I think it's I do think it's excessive but if you're a manager you've got to maximize that and and Ten Hag certainly did Lindelof and, and Maguire both went on I think Wan-Bissaka was the other one who came off, which was, was an interesting move given that Wan-Bissaka is, is a very athletic right-back and he's certainly a defender that you want in those those areas. But maybe he felt that United needed more, uh, a little bit more physicality or more of an aerial threat. Maguire has done that job a few times in in recent weeks coming on when you, where United have been defending a lead. And he played 
he got more minutes at the weekend. Normally, he's been coming on the 89th minute or the 90th minute in those those wins against Wolves and, and Manchester City. And I think on both occasions, he did get some some important headers in and, and cleared his lines. But once those changes had been made, I mean, Palace didn't really have a chance apart from the Eze one where Martinez got across. And I mean, Martinez always seemed to be there whenever Palace had a sniff or a slight sniff of a chance. He was absolutely phenomenal again for United on Saturday. But Palace didn't really have a clear-cut chance and they had the man advantage. And that that's a credit to Ten Hag, as I said earlier. He he sensed what needed to change. There was one point, actually, where Palace were on the attack and United were down to nine men, effectively, because Rashford was being shown a, a booklet by Ten Hag, essentially informing him what to do or, or inform his teammates what to do. So the pre-planning must is clearly so... They're so fastidious with it that it's a, I, the impression I got from that was that they do actually prepare for in the event if they are down to 10 men and what shape uh, they, they morph into, who, 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 who goes where, who does what. And some players became even better when United produced to 10 men that the one who, who really stood out for me was Fred. I thought Fred was having a, a steadily decent game up until... The red card after then he was he was exceptional uh and he's a player who again he's he's probably had more spectacular standout runs of form under previous regimes but there's no doubt that he's become a more consistent performer under ten Hag, and his importance to united is has probably never been higher even though he's not been a regular at any real point this season he's a regular at the moment of course because Ericsson's injured and, and Casemiro might be might be suspended for, for three matches. But he's you, you hope for his sake that he's not exposed during that, that period, that he doesn't uh, that he doesn't regress at all. Because as as Ten Hag has used him in this almost a bit of a he's used him more sparingly and he's certainly been a more squad player this season, but he's had fulfilling minutes and that is the best way to maximise him. So where he's likely to have a very, very regular run of games this month, and it's, it, he seems pretty nailed on to start the League Cup final as well. And you've got big games coming up against Leeds and and Barcelona. It's it's a very big test for him. But if he passes that assessment with flying colours, again, it, it only f- reflects very, very well on Ten Hag and, of course, the player himself. Yeah, I fully agree there that you know in in the past it has been overexposure that has has really been his downfall. The fact that he's been part of that derided McFred partnership, that axes which are limited. You know what you're going to get, but you also know what you're not going to get. And like you said, I think when used sparingly, he's he's got a real use to this team. I suppose that the element of interest in that is that the two best performances from Fred this season were Tottenham and Man City at home, and he was dropped in the this subsequent is. games both times. Then so. United have to play him now, and it's going to be interesting to see see how they do that. Another midfielder of interest, Sabitzer, made his debut. Okay, not the easiest platform to do so. You're not going to get a full reflection of how good he is, but what are your early impressions of United's deadline day arrival? He did very well in the circumstances. It, it does help that they've got a more experienced midfielder in there because there's a lot of chatter, certainly from supporters, about the possibility of getting Gravenberg from Bayern Munich and I don't think Gravenberg has even started a Bundesliga game all season since he since he joined Bayern he's, he's fallen out of the Dutch squad as well and he's he's probably the more 
I think he said in the summer, didn't he, that, that Ten Hag approached him about the, the prospect of, of moving to United, but he was already he'd already given his word to, to Bayern. But in the circumstances mid season and given the state of the United midfield, it's better to have someone more experienced rather than a rookie really. I, I know that's maybe overdoing it a bit with Gravenberg because he's played quite a lot of football for his age. He's he's a twenty year old, he's he's played and won things with Ajax and he's played for the for the Dutch national team. But when it's mid season, it's it's always better to have someone who's a bit wily and who's been around the block. And Sabitzer's a good age at 28 and he's played for a big club already in Bayern Munich and uh, he's, he's had very good experiences with with Leipzig and he's played in two European championships as well. So that's that's always going to stand you in good stead when you're in a position where you're 2-1 up and you're down to 10 men and it was absolutely obvious that they needed an extra midfielder to go on to, to offset the absence of, of, of Casemiro. And he was very dynamic. He was he was good with the ball. Uh, he, he linked up well a couple of times. It, it was a cameo, but it was a promising cameo, especially given the circumstances. So, uh, provided Casemiro does serve out the suspension, uh, Sabitzer has got. You, you'd think he's certain of starting uh, these these next three games. McTominay's out for a case of of weeks. Ten Hag said on on Tuesday last week. So. Yeah, he's probably got an outside chance of making making the Leicester game, maybe getting his way back into the team this week. But it's you know you, you lay down the gauntlet to to Sabitz and now go go up against Leeds United, who've who've got a couple of you know aggressive midfielders in their ranks, and I know they're not having a particularly good season at all under under Jesse Marsh, and um, they, they had another defeat against Forest at the weekend. But when they're coming up against Man United, you would imagine that those players will be even more up for it because they will be well versed in just how how despised United are by anyone uh, remotely connected with Leeds. Uh, you know, seeing the scenes outside the City Ground on on Sunday and how Leeds fans reacted just to losing, uh, just losing to Nottingham Forest. Uh, you can only imagine how they will feel if they they lose to United twice in a week. And of course, you could see uh, for Sabitzer against his former Leipzig teammate Tyler Adams as well. It's going to be an interesting exactly, dynamic yeah. there. What yeah. what do you make of the makeup there? I mean, it seems to me that you're hinting that you want to see Fred and Sabitzer play as the axis now with Fernandes in front. Like you said, the options are limited considering McTominay's layoff and if he is back to fitness, he might not be, be thrown in. Do you think there's a case for any other possibilities? And I, I know we've seen that Lindelof could play that. Lissandro uh, Martinez could play in midfield. Do you actually think that any of those are, are likely to happen? I think Martinez is too important to take out of defence, and there's there's an argument that you could do that. And if you're to keep a left-footed centre back in there, Luke Shaw can go in there as as he did uh, a few times in January and December and did did exceptionally well. But Martinez has been probably the best defender in the Premier League this season uh, it's it's him or Saliba as far as I'm concerned you, there's a case be made for Varane as well but he did have a, a a while out injured but but Martinez given the the context of him coming into United and and the scrutiny he's he's been exceptional so I don't think I think it's advised really to to push him forward but they have the option there uh, I think Lindelof did move into midfield against Forest last week uh, when when he came on, and it's worth trialing trialing him there. He he starts his career uh, with with Benfica, I think, as a defensive midfielder. But you are literally going back 
10 years there. He, he joined Benfica in 2013. He He's renowned as, as a centre-back and readjusting to that role. You, it'd be interesting to see, but you would want to do it in... I, I don't think Leeds at home is, is necessarily the occasion for it. But Sabitzer and Fred is not exactly... I mean, we, we can't know for certain until they do start a game together, but Sabitzer is quite an attack-minded midfielder. Fred has, has played probably his best football or best best run of form for United as, as an advanced midfielder. So someone has to change their role there. Um, yeah, Sabitzer has played in more of a, a central midfield role for Bayern Munich for, from what I can see. So maybe he's the one who has to, to occupy that role. But I suppose... The positive about Casemiro's absence through suspension is that they're coming up against teams who, who are eminently beatable. I know. I mean, if he could miss the game against Leicester, and Leicester had a very good result the weekend, and yeah. they've got some brilliant players who you do not want to underestimate at all whatsoever. But it is a, it's a that that's a home game that United should be beating, and Leeds. Okay, the the form book does go out the window that old cliche because it is Monday nice against Leeds but United have got superior players and they are expected to take six points from from those games this week but Casemiro we've not really seen yet since he came into the team for a sustained period whether that upsets the balance at United and the one time he did come out of the team against Arsenal the the, the impact of his absence was was profound um, McTominay was was a poor stopgap that day he, he's never short of effort but he is often short of quality and when you're coming up against the league leaders that was always likely to be exposed and it and it was that day yeah like you said there there is that caveat that they're playing lesser teams but they're lesser teams who both have really good attacking players they might be maybe not the most consistent attacking outputs but you know someone like James Madison for Leicester you look at Sinistera at Leeds these are players who can get into those open positions that can cause real havoc so it's going to be interesting to see how United cope and really interesting to see how they adapt to, to this role pushing on then before we get on to our Leeds preview Samuel uh, you've done the story today looking at United's sort of summer business and we understand that United will have to sell players if they're going to be able to spend big in the summer. We know signing a striker is the priority for United. In order to do so, they not only need to get into Champions League, get the riches of that back, but they need to start offloading some of the players who just aren't good enough to take them to, to the next level. We spoke about one of them on last week's podcast. There's probably a group of five or six of players that you would say United should cash in on. And you've written a story today saying United are open to selling Anthony Marshall. He's missed 20 games already this season. Eric Ten Hag says United play their best football with him, but they just don't play that enough. They don't, and there's an element of probably trying to protect the player's resale value there as well. Uh, on his day, he is a good player, but when when does that happen? Uh, I think in Reece, in the last couple of years, you could count the amount of times on, or the number of times on one hand, and he's not completed 90 minutes this season. When he did have a consistent run of games, his his form was was pretty inconsistent, and it's it's not really changed all all season really. They they decided quite early on that they were going to have to be in for a, a new striker in the summer, and whenever a new striker comes in, Marshall capitulates. Uh, Ibrahimovic came in, took his number nine. Marshall reacted in quite. a passive aggressive way changing his imagery on his social media accounts that showed he, he had the nine on the back of his shirt 
Sanchez came in, Marshall wanted out. Cavani came in to keep Marshall on his toes. He trampled all over Marshall's toes and Ronaldo was... was Marshall was never going to put up much of a fight against him and he had his worst scoring run uh, ever for United with Ronaldo at the club. He only, he only scored once for them against Everton last season. So there's, there's, United should not be inclined to indulge or, or pander to Marshall anymore. Other than Pogba, he's probably the other one who really benefited from the player power era, if you like, uh, the, the manner of his contracting January 2019, I always felt felt really set a dangerous precedent in that United announced that they'd extended his contract by a year the day after Mourinho's final game. And within hours, Marshall's agent uh, was yet speaking to uh, a French TV or a French outlet saying he was pessimistic of a renewal. Mourinho gets sacked the next day and then something like 30-odd days later, Marshall signed a new five and a half year contract or, or or sorry a four and a half year con- no it was a five and a half year contract contract to 2024 with the plus one option so that that I always felt that set a really poor example by United going forward that players could ride roughshod over them now players can't ride roughshod over them anymore uh, Ten Hag has seen off Ronaldo so anybody else is absolutely small fry and it is in their interest to get a player off the books who occupies a position they want to strengthen in the summer. If if they do bring in uh, Victor Osserman or, or Harry Kane, where's Marshall going to play? He's going to be a backup player. Uh, he'll have one year left on his contract with the plus one option. That The summer is the prime time to sell him. United are only doing anything that any right-minded United fan would advise them to do. Uh, any any football executive would, would advise them to do on, on the administration side. It is not a difficult decision. He scored six goals this season. As you said, he's been, he's missed 20 of United's 34 games. And in the previous two seasons, he scored, I think, eight goals for United. So that's, that's what, 14 goals in, in, in two and a half seasons, nearly three seasons. Yeah. You can't, you can't continue to, uh, go on with this narrative that oh he might come good or he's a player for the future because he isn't he's a 27 year old and his best season for United was his first season when he started as a teenager so they have to cash in at the soonest possible um, time and that's obviously the summer he's not the only player that they've deemed sellable Harry Maguire is one of them Uh, Alex Tellez I believe is another one names that don't come as a surprise whatsoever Marshall is the only one that when when I was first told his name, I was slightly surprised. But then, as soon as you actually factor in all the context, uh, all the the, the 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 issues around him as well, with with his fitness and uh, with with his form as well, it's it's a very obvious decision to make. And he's also shown in the handful of games that he's had this season that when he is on it, he can still be a very good player. And he should be an asset to uh, to whichever club he joins but United can't be scared of this um, this I mean what, going back to 2018 they didn't want to sell him because uh, th- they were fearful that he would go to a club and he would be brilliant they can't be frightened of that anymore and if he is brilliant elsewhere so be it United are in a, a stronger position now and he wouldn't be the first player to leave United and, and go and have a good career elsewhere in entering his eighth year now at United as well, like you said, they've got their 
they still got their money's worth, really, for the £50 million investment as the, as the chant goes. On the amortisation, also got to remember. <laughs> yeah, and you've got to remember as well that it's over two years now since he played 90 minutes in the Premier League. No other team would indulge him for this long. You, you, they would just get rid of him. So if United want to push on and make these ruthless decisions, then they've got to continue it with, with Marshall. I suppose then Samuel leads this midweek. I suppose before we get into the preview of it, where does that rank for you in United rivalries? We've been lucky enough to do sort of home and away since they've been back in the Premier League. And yeah. from my point of view, it is a lot nastier than City and Liverpool. There's a real, obviously there's Yorkshire, Lancashire. There's a real hatred between the two clubs, which often makes for pretty compelling matches. Yeah. And as you say, nasty is the right word. Uh, I mean, they're, they're probably far more um, worse words that you could use to describe it. it it really is quite quite bilious and I think for, for a generation of supporters some of the scenes uh, for, before the the first game last season would have been a jolt to them the the scuffles that were going on in Dean's Gate between the two sets of supporters uh, I think that was the first game between United and Leeds in the league with, with fans present in that, that must have been 17 and a half years so that's always going to, to fuel it but I mean, I can't possibly forget when we went to Elland Road, you very bravely wore uh, a red Wrexham hat and I, 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 immediately I worried for your safety. You were at the end of the uh, the row on, on, on our table in the press box. And I think it, the only chap who recognised your hat, fortunately for you, was, was a Leeds fan who happened to be from Wales and you had quite a, an amicable conversation uh, with him about Wrexham and, and how they were getting on. So... Uh, at least that pass off without without incident. But I remember the Leeds officials last season saying how how delighted they were that he was absolutely chucking it down. Um, I think Ian Herbert from the Daily Mail was stationed outside Ellen Road the whole afternoon just in case there was any trouble. But the best deterrent for um, the, for, for avoiding trouble or, or preventing trouble is is the weather, and it, it poured down all day. So uh, fortunately, the the game seemed to pass off without incident. But it is. It's a truly uh, yeah. The, the Leeds fans detest United, and a lot of people at Leeds detest United. And you only had to see the statement uh, the other week about Chris Armas joining the Leeds backroom staff, <laughs> and he was. I think the the statement from Leeds it said he was at another Premier League club last season. They can't even bring themselves to to say United's name. And I remember when what it was that the the tour in 2019 that we went on and. I interviewed Pablo Hernandez in, in Perth and he was told that one time he wore red trainers to Ellen Road and he was told, oh, you, you can't wear them um, because red, <laughs> the colour red uh, is even abhorred by, by Leeds fans. So uh, there'll, there'll be some good pieces out there for people to brush up on their history um, and, and just gauge how, how how toxic a rivalry it is. It's, it's obviously uh, not been helped by the odd infamous... Uh, transfer between the clubs mainly in the direction from from Leeds to to Manchester and yeah not Dan James the impacts no 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 that 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 might have uh, that, that that might have actually um smooth smoother relationship for for a brief period certainly from from United's perspective getting 25 million for him but obviously I think I think Cancelo even recalled going back to Allen Road as a United player how um just just his his English wasn't great at that time but the, the the Munich chanting was certainly, um, you know, he he, he cottoned, cottoned on to that. And I think the home game last season, 
It was the first time I'd heard in a, a long, long time the Munich chant being aired by a set of supporters at Old Trafford, and there was a United fan who obviously had a um, a banner referring to to the two the two Leeds fans who were stabbed and killed in in Istanbul in two thousand. So, uh, you know, sections of of both both teams' support do do stoop to uh, the, the lowest of the low, really, to to score cheap points. Let's hope the football takes centre stage when they meet twice in the next uh, coming weeks as well. And like you said, the first meeting is on Wednesday night, Samuel. Ahead of the game then, United should be feeling confident. They've got a good track record in these sorts of matches this season. They've made a real habit of just winning the games you'd expect them to win. But of course, no Ericsson, most likely no Casemiro as well. What do you make of United's approach for it? Do you think it will be another game in which they've just got to try and attack from the off? The onus is on them at home. Or do you think there should be an element of caution? Because it is a derby. It is a bit different. Well, they they got off to a brilliant start against Palace with the, the penalty award and, and Fernandes converting that in the in the seventh minute, I think. And they, they were very front-footed with their approach. And I think they had in the back of their minds the way they were... Just, just how casual they were against Palace at Selhurst in the second half where they didn't force the issue. They didn't get that elusive second goal and it cost them. On Saturday, they did get the second goal and that was the difference between the teams. I, I saw the first half of Leeds' defeat at, at Forest on, on, on Sunday and they, they actually seemed to play quite well. I mean, Kayla Navas uh, seems to have been made man of the match for that game. He, he made a couple of good saves or a few good saves in the first half. It was a brilliant goal by Brennan Johnson that that got that win for Forest. Who they've they've made a habit of getting some very gritty wins at home this season without really particularly convincing. From from what I've seen of them, the, the West Ham game at the start of the season springs to mind. And I I still when I look at the table, I think it's a little bit misleading with Leeds. I I thought at, at Liverpool earlier this season they were they were tremendous. It was probably one of the best performances all season in the Premier League. And you could say Liverpool have gone off the ball and they're, what, 10th in the league at the moment. They're, they're not themselves this season. But when you go to Anfield and you win 2-1 as Leeds United, whatever the era, that's that's a brilliant win. That's a brilliant performance. And they were, they were exceptional that day. They really did deserve it. So they have got the capabilities to, to cause a shock um, going off, off that result. And as I said, when, when I look at their position in the league, I'm still not convinced that that's that's a reliable gauge of where they are. I know that um, they're still they're still too poor as a team, uh, which was the, their undoing under Bielsa. They were only ever going one way with him last season. Uh, Patrick Bamford is starting up front again, and he's a he's a good footballer, but he's not a, a good goal scorer. That's that's been uh, the accusation they were against him for for most of his career. But they've they've got some mercurial players who. On, on a certain night, they can be that unpredictable that they'll they'll come up trumps and they'll they'll get the winning goal. And uh, Malia, who I thought was a, a dreadful goalkeeper last season and, and probably in his first season in, in the Premier League, seems to have improved this season. And I, I'm not I'm certainly not expecting United to take leads to the cleaners like they did uh, like they did under Bielsa. I mean, they scored six against them, they scored five against them, and, and four against them. There was just that anomalous nil-nil at Ellen Road a few days after the the Super League, where where they that they didn't they didn't take leads to the cleaners. So 
you know, given as 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 we've discussed ad nauseum, United's tendency to win games by by a narrow goal, uh, it really wouldn't surprise me if that's the case again on, on Wednesday night and even maybe Sunday as well. Yeah, I was going to ask you for your prediction, but that sounds like it will be that another United narrow win, which I guess you know, the fans won't complain about. It's all about picking no, up points, and particularly in this season while other teams are faltering. If United can just stay consistent and they're as good as secured Champions League football, and like we said, they've got a good chance in the cup competitions as well. So we'll see what happens at Old Trafford when we join you later in the week. Samuel Luckhurst, thank you very much for joining us today on the Manchester is Red podcast. Thank you, Rich Fay. I hope you've come down for mate Owen O'Connell's winner at the weekend as well. Well, trip to Sheffield for me on Tuesday night to watch the replay as well. So of it course, could be a very yes. giddy week ahead for, for us Wrexham fans. And yeah, thank you very much to all of you, wherever you are in the world for listening to this podcast. And it, like we said, <laughs> watch it on YouTube as well. Manchester is red on YouTube and we're available on all your usual podcast platforms. We'll be back later in the week to look back at what happened against Leeds. Look ahead to what happens against Leicester as well. Take care and we'll see you again next time.